Well, good morning again. This is a very special day in the life of our church because we're launching another church, Elevate Hope Centennial. Yeah. In about 30 minutes, they will begin their very first worship service. And uh, quite a few of our folks are over there this morning uh, participating in and will be continuing with Elevate Hope Centennial, something we've prayed about and worked toward now for three years. And uh, our prayer, uh, I, I actually called Brett up this morning and asked him how nervous he was. And uh, he said he was nervous, but less than, you know, previous days. So it's actually his nervousness has been dropping. So that's a good thing. Prayers are being answered. I think the team over there, they're very excited about this. They've been rehearsing and working towards greeting people and showing hospitality this morning. So uh, we're absolutely delighted to be launching that church, Elevate Hope Centennial. They start at 10 this morning. Um, and they have to, when they're done, take their chairs and things like that and pack everything up and put it away and tear down their sound system. And aren't we glad we don't have to do that? <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> we did it once upon a time. But uh, anyway, so we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to teach us this morning and we're going to ask God to bless Elevate Hope Centennial as they gather. Let's pray. Father God, what a blessing and a joy to be doing something this morning that churches have done for thousands of years, namely proclaim the name, the greatness, the goodness, the efficacy of the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we're doing that this morning, so is Elevate Hope. We are just overjoyed, God, to be launching another church. We pray that that church uh, would be one where Christ is lifted up, where men, women, children are drawn to him and discover the rich and the deep truth of who Jesus is. It's a life-changing truth. Father, this morning as we come to this time, we come to study and we need our lives to change as well. We know that that's a supernatural thing. That's something that your spirit does with your word. And so would you work that way in us this morning? Help us listen, help us hear from you. All of this we ask for the sake of and the glory of Jesus Christ, the one in whose name we gather. Amen. Well, we are in a uh, week three of a little series. Uh, we're talking about what we are doing together as a church. We've been asking the question, so what are we doing? And we are remembering what's important to us as a church. We try to keep it simple here at Deer Creek. We want to make disciples just like all other churches. But of course, the question is, how do you do that? I mean, that's the, that's the big question. How do you do that? What do you do to make disciples? And we answer that question by saying, first of all, we reach up. We worship. Uh, we celebrate the wow of what God is doing and the wow of who God is. And that was what we talked about two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about reaching in. That's the second part of what we do. Community, connection. And that happens at Deer Creek through small groups. That's the number one way that we seek to connect people in Christ so that they're speaking into each other's lives, praying for each other, helping each other grow, learning in the process. Now, this uh, week, we are going to be talking about reaching out, serving others. We've already been referencing that, even in our confession of sin. It's just the fact that any and all of us need to confess that there are times in our lives when serving is not a priority, not at all. Uh, there are legitimate times in our lives when maybe we can't serve, but um, that we're not talking about this morning. We're just talking about, in general, the calling that we have in our lives to serve Jesus. The life and the rhythm of a 
Jesus follower is this reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out, we believe. That is the rhythm of a healthy church. That is the rhythm in the life of a healthy follower of Jesus. Back in 1987, the year we started this church, uh, there was a story in every news outlet that just captured the attention of this entire country for days, for weeks, actually. Some of you will remember uh, a little girl by the name of Jessica McClure. Jessica McClure. She was 18 months old, uh, just a little toddler. And she was playing in the backyard at her aunt's home in Midland, Texas. And while she was out there, she discovered this little hole in the ground. And she accidentally fell into that hole. It was actually a well a very deep well, a shaft that went down many, many feet. She fell 22 feet underground in a well that was only eight inches in diameter. Jessica was trapped in that well for several days. And it was all hands on deck, as you can imagine. Every rescue worker uh, around that part of the country was summoned, and they all descended in the backyard. The mission, of course, was to save, to rescue little Jessica, and there were policemen there, firemen there, paramedics, doctors, nurses, child psychologists, engineers, oil drillers, all working tirelessly for 56 hours. And then they got Jessica out. And they drilled a parallel shaft all the way down, 22 feet. And then they went 90 degrees over and they did all this with water jet technology. And this was a huge story in all the media. Hundreds of professionals were working on this. A gigantic rescue operation to save one little girl. Here's a picture of what that backyard looked like uh, when all of this was going on. Uh, there were people praying for Jessica too and praying for these workers all during this time. So all of this leads me to a question. How many people would it take to save a soul? How many people would it take to rescue a marriage that was heading in a destructive wrong direction? How many people would it take to invest in the next generation of the church? I'm talking about children and students so that they follow Jesus and so that they represent Jesus well to others. How many people would that take? And the answer is all of us. All of us, everyone here today, you and me, every single person is how many it takes to help someone find and follow Jesus, to help a family that's experiencing brokenness in their relationships, to mentor young people so that they know Jesus and become his followers. It takes everyone here to do that. Rich and poor, male and female, young and old. 2,000 years ago, Paul was writing to his friends in a church called Corinth. Uh, it was an up-and-coming city that was filled with talented, ambitious, successful people, people who had come to this town to uh, make a place for themselves, make a name for themselves, build a life there. And uh, some of these people in that city had become Christians in the process. And Paul wanted to remind them who they were in light of what Jesus had just done. Jesus had just overcome death. Jesus had just overcome sin and overcome the grave. And so Paul was calling these Christians there in that city into a new identity, reminding them that they had a new identity. They were now part of a mission, 
part of a new way of life that was bigger than just themselves. And so Paul writes these words to them. He says, and I quote, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And then Paul, a little later, says this. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. Paul is saying, if I could paraphrase him, that we are part of something bigger than we could possibly imagine. And it is the body of Christ that we are a part of. It is the church. It is God's people everywhere. What Paul is saying here too is, is very profound. He's speaking to a society of people who were consumer driven. They were individualistic. They were very self-centered. Thank God we're not like this. Um, and Paul is reminding the church that everyone in the church, everyone following Christ has a function. They have certain abilities. They have certain gifts. And everyone is needed to make the body of Christ work the way it is supposed to work. God has given you and me gifts and abilities that enable us to do the work of the church. And that work actually blesses people out there, people in the world. Um, in his letters to churches, Paul lists quite a few spiritual gifts, gifts that are given to us by the Spirit of God. Here in the book uh, that he writes to the Corinthians, this first, the first Corinthians, he doesn't mention all the gifts, but he mentions some interesting ones. This is what he writes. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And I just want to pause. He lists three things there that are very important because a lot of times when writers in scripture do this, they're almost like synonyms for each other. And so he talks about there, there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service. There are different kinds of working. Well, gifts, service, and working are all one way to say the same thing. So gifts, the idea that you have spiritual gifts means you put them into work. The idea that you've been given an ability to, to serve uh, or given a spiritual gift, the, the implication is you're going to use it. That's what Paul is driving at here. Now, let's keep reading. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. It's not given for your good or my good. It's given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, there are some gifts listed there that we kind of scratch our heads and go, huh? I mean, were you with me as I was reading that list? You want me to explain to you what those are exactly? <laughs> you know, gifts of wisdom, gifts of knowledge, gifts of speaking in tongues, uh, gifts of interpreting tongues. 
gifts of miracles. Anybody here got the gift of doing miracles? We'd like to see that. <laughs> gifts of healing. I mean, when you, when you say to somebody, you are healed in the name of Jesus Christ, and they get up and they always are healed. Because understand, if you have this gift, it doesn't work 80% of the time. It works 100% of the time. No, no, no doubts, no shadowy nature around it, right? So obviously there were some things going on in the church, this church, the church at Corinth where people had gifts, but what didn't they have? Anybody, what didn't they have? They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the scriptures the way we do. And so when they would gather, somebody would speak a word in the name of Jesus Christ or in the name of God, and somebody would have a gift of distinguishing spirits, and they would say, amen, that is from God, or uh, eh, nope, that doesn't come from God. You know, they would distinguish the spirits. Sometimes somebody would speak in a foreign language and everybody else is like, huh? But then somebody who could interpret that, that speaking would be able to stand up and say, well, here, here's what they're saying. Prophecy was absolutely necessary because if you don't have a Bible, you need to hear from God and people would be given the ability to speak in the name of God and they would say, thus saith the Lord. And, and it was always 100% of the time, not occasionally, 100% of the time, accurate, true and good. It was exactly what God was saying. So some of these gifts we see active uh, in the church today, some of them, not so much. I don't actually know a single church anywhere that claims to have people who are working miracles. Because if they do, dad gumbo, let's get out of here and go over there. I mean, really, right? That's what I want to do. I mean, I don't have the gift of miracles. Sometimes it's a miracle that I just get a sermon together. But uh, anyway, so, so it's okay if you're scratching your head on some of these gifts that are mentioned and you go, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. It's okay to have questions around that. And we don't box God in. God is a God, I believe, who can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. So we don't say to God, God, you can't give somebody the gift of tongues anymore. Well, I'm not so sure that's, that's the right thing to say. But, but understand, the, the practice of these things, the use of these gifts uh, is something that to us sometimes, some of these gifts, it feels a little unusual because we don't necessarily see them being manifest uh, here in, in our midst. And that's okay. That's okay. Now, let's keep going. I know I just raised lots of questions for lots of people. Uh, it, it would be perfectly all right if you wanted to email Daniel about any of that. Um, so in addition to these kinds of gifts, it's been my observation uh, over the years that the Spirit very often weds the gifts that he gives you to your personality, to your passions, even to other abilities that he gives you so that using your gifts actually gives you joy when you use your gifts. It actually is exciting for you when you use your gifts. These are things that we love doing and we are actually good at doing them. And then the spiritual gifts that we have augment those gifts. And these things, when we use these gifts, we feel very purposeful in using them. This, of course, is just a further gift from God. This is another evidence of just how good God is. That when I use my gifts to serve, it's personally satisfying to me. That's not why he gives them to me, but nevertheless, it is personally satisfying. When I use my gifts to serve, it's purposeful, it's energizing, it's motivating, it makes a difference. And Paul is reminding the church, this is who you are, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, a lot of worship is about reminding, and Paul is saying, this is who you are. You're called to something greater. You're called to spiritually impact the world. And every one of you, meaning you and me, right? Every one of you, he says, has gifts to do exactly that. 
Now, another thing Paul is saying here is that every gift is vitally important. There aren't any gifts that are not important. There are no gifts that do not matter. Every gift has value. Paul says it this way. He says, now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Well, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. It would just be wrong. Uh, He says, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. No, it would just, again, be wrong. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I love the way Paul illustrates this. It's very clever. It would have been, it would have been, uh, it would have captured people's attention that he uses this kind of a metaphor, this kind of illustration. Body parts talking to each other. The hand is saying, hey, foot, sucks to be you. I mean, that's kind of what's going on here. Or, or what if, what if, what if my lungs had a conversation with themselves? Since there's two, they would be twins. And one lung says to the other, hey, man, how's it going over there? Looks like you're working really hard, pumping oxygen, always pumping, pumping oxygen. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but you know what? We never get any credit for what we do. We're trapped in this cage, this cage of ribs. Nobody ever sees us. Nobody ever thinks about us. If anything, the body just complains all the time that we're not working hard enough. Every time we take a hike, every time we take a walk, every time we go to the gym, complaints, 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 whining, wanting more oxygen. But look at the nose. What does the nose do? The nose is good for nothing. It just sits there on the face, has two holes in it. Big deal. Everybody sees it and everybody babies it. Baby nose. It's an emergency if there's a pimple on it. It's an emergency if it's bleeding. Oh my gosh, stop everything. Stop the bleeding. Big deal. We're constantly working around the clock, nonstop, but no one ever thanks us. We're not even noticed. We're not even important. So I have an idea. What if we just take a break? What if we just stop working for a little while? Kick back, relax, stop pumping air. What if we do that? I'll bet that will get somebody's attention. And boy, would it. Everything grinds to a halt if that happens. I'd be in serious trouble if my lungs were to quit beating uh, or quit working. Uh, but, but thank God my lungs are working just the way they're supposed to, at least at this moment. And when my body works that way, uh, the way it's supposed to, we call that being healthy. We call that being strong or we call that working. My body, my lungs are working. Well, in the same way, this is the metaphor Paul's using, in the same way the church, the body of Christ, when all of us are living into the gifts and the abilities that God has given us and we are working together, well, then we are healthy and we are a healthy church. But only then. You see, we are a church that is thriving and growing when everyone is utilizing their spiritual gifts, leaning into their passions and their purpose, serving one another, serving others out there. That's what makes a church healthy. That's what makes a church strong. Not its size, how big, how small it is. No, it's the use of spiritual gifts. It's the God using individuals because when individuals use their spiritual gifts, they're growing and they're helping others to grow. And that's what makes the church healthy and strong. Paul says everybody has gifts. Everyone's gifts are important. And then Paul says everyone has a calling to use their gifts. Um, Everyone has a calling, in other words, to serve. Ministry is not just what pastors do uh, or people who work in a church. 
uh, Paul was writing to the Ephesian church. They, they must have been a little confused on this. And so Paul writes to the church that was in Ephesus and he wants to straighten out their thinking, give them a kind of an inside look at how the gears turn, how the gears work in a church. And this is what he says. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, those are those people speaking the word of God to the church, because again, they don't, have, they don't have the scriptures in their hands yet. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. Remember those three things, works of service, you know, the gifts, those, those things were mentioned together. They're kind of synonyms for one another, for works of service, for the use of their spiritual gifts, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says that for us to become mature in Christ, you need apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. You need these things, absolutely. But what are those people doing? Well, they're equipping the people in the body to do the work of the ministry. We all do the work of the ministry. Ministry or works of service are what people do. After the apostles, the prophets, the uh, pastors and teachers equip them to do it. We all minister and serve because Jesus ministers to and serves us. And by the way, he does that for us night and day. Jesus is always ministering to you. He is always serving you. He's doing that spiritually on your behalf. He is your advocate. When you fail... When you're broken, when you're down, when you need picking up, when you need forgiveness, when you need mercy, it's Jesus who is your advocate always 24-7. Jesus is always at work materially and emotionally in every way you can imagine working behind the scenes or maybe not so behind the scenes in the circumstances of your life because he wants you to get to know him better. He's always pulling, always drawing. Sometimes he's pursuing you when you're running away from him. This is how Jesus loves you. This is how Jesus serves you. And so when we take our skills and our passions and our spiritual gifts and we recognize how Jesus has served us and we turn around and serve others, well, guess what? That's ministry. That's ministry. And that's important to understand because it's easy to just say, well, you know, let the pastors do the ministry. Let the missionaries do the ministry. Let the staff do the ministry. Let old retired people do the ministry. Or, you know, I'm old and retired. Let the young people do the ministry. <laughs> I'll just stand back and cheer them on. Way to go. Way to go. Keep doing that. Yep. Thank you. And I'll tell you, when that happens... You have an unhealthy body, an unhealthy church, because we all have a calling to ministry. So I'll just ask you, what is yours? Where do you serve? I mean, I hope you have an answer. I, I hope your answer isn't, well, <laughs> you know, I used to serve a long time ago. I used, to, I used to have a ministry, but man, I'm too busy now. Or now I'm retired. I'm not busy at all, but I don't want to do anything. Or I'm not interested anymore. Or I just don't want to. You see, the reason why this is important, friends, is because God has gifted you and God has placed you in a time and in a place specifically in his wisdom to bless people that only you can bless. And I really mean that. 
to bless people that only you can bless, to serve people that only you can serve, to encourage someone that only you can encourage, to share your faith with someone who, because of the, all of the circumstances in their life, you're the only one they're going to listen to. Maybe somebody at work, maybe someone where you live or somebody you go to school with or somebody here at church. God in his wisdom has put you in the lives of others with your experiences and your skills, your abilities, your spiritual gifts, your personality, your knowledge for just such a time as this to serve, to love, to bless, to share your faith with others. And if you don't do this, well, you are thwarting the work of God's spirit in your life. You are saying no to God. That, that's as clear as I know how to make it. You cannot be spiritually healthy, not for long, when you refuse to serve others in Jesus' name. Friends, serving and helping and loving and blessing others is the most Christ-like thing you can do. And so if you're not doing it, you're not being like Jesus. It's, it's just that simple. So one, every one of you is important. Two, all of you are necessary when it comes to spiritual gifts and using them. And three, collectively, we all have a calling to join God in the work that he is doing. We, uh, we call this here at Deer Creek Church, reaching out. That's the third part of what we do, reaching out. We believe that God is redeeming and reconciling the world to himself. He's going to do that with me or without me. I can either participate in it and, and live purposely because I am, or I can, I can stand by and watch what God is doing in and through others. But that is his mission. And we get to be a part of his mission together. That's what we're called to be. That's what I love so much about our church, actually. Uh, how we lean into these opportunities, how we do show up with our gifts, how we serve and bless others. Uh, I know so many of you are doing that. And believe me, we are incredibly indebted to and grateful to all of you who serve, who lead around here. Because th those two are often intermingled. Anytime you're serving, you're actually, whether you realize it or not, you're actually leading people uh, who watch you perhaps into serving themselves. You're serving in meaningful ways, whether it's seen or whether it's unseen, whether you're a, a nose, a lung, a hand, a foot, you know, you participate, you make a contribution, you serve the Lord. And so many of you do this with joy. It's, it's just amazing to me. I think of one couple uh, Chad and Bonnie Lorenzen, they have been involved here at Deer Creek Church four or five years, something like that. Uh, when they first came, they, they weren't exactly sure what they thought about Jesus or weren't exactly clear about who Jesus was. Once they got that cleared up, oh man, did they dive in. Uh, Bonnie has been a, a leader in our children's ministry. Chad and Bonnie have led small groups. They have had, uh, invited others into their small groups. They've been members of small groups. Just an incredible couple, always looking for an opportunity to serve in a way that matches their gifting. There's Ellis and Becky King. Uh, Ellis, you've seen him up here a lot on the worship team, usually plays bass. I think Anthony was playing bass this morning, but Ellis often plays bass. Uh, Becky has been in the welcome team helping. She's worked in the children's ministry. She's led small groups and been member of small groups and so on and so forth. There's Phil and Melissa Matthews. Uh, they, they helped pioneer a ministry here that's vitally important to us, Christianity Explored, which is just a Bible study opportunity for people who aren't sure at all what to think about Jesus. And uh, Phil and Melissa helped pioneer that. Also worked in kids ministry. They've worked in welcome ministry, just all kinds of things. There's Gary and Debbie Fuller. Gary is an elder here. 
He has served uh, many times in helping us when it comes to thinking about outreach as a church and connecting with people who are out there and don't know what happens or don't even care what happens in here. Uh, Gary's been a big help with those kinds of things. Uh, He and Debbie have led small groups and served in that way, uh, just tons and tons of stuff. Scott and Karen Fast, some of you might know. Remember when uh, Feed My Starving Children was the end of last year? It was Scott and Karen who did a lion's share of the work of organizing all that stuff. They did all this behind the scenes, kind of like lungs pumping, right? But it wouldn't have happened without them. It simply wouldn't have happened. Uh, Kelly Beerwinkle is somebody who usually stands right here singing, you know, and just to bless you, she gets blessed too, but just to bless you, she's up here singing, serving, showing up early to do that. Colin and Kathleen Campbell, I don't know, I think they've been here, I'm going to say 10 years, something like that, Uh, very involved in our children's ministry and in our students' ministry. Colin is the one who retooled uh, and then retaught our foundations ministry. These are for students that want to profess faith in Jesus. Colin took what we had available and worked on it and made it his own and improved it and uh, has been teaching that student ministry for some time. Stephen and Holly Gross, another elder here. Stephen is an elder. They've been involved in children's ministry in small groups. Ryan and Leslie uh, Tarangio, children's ministry, up to their eyeballs just because they care about kids and communicating the gospel to them. All these people, they've led, they've served, they've sacrificed to serve you and me and the families here at Deer Creek. And all of these people, every single one of them, and actually I could list a ton more. They're not here this morning. We kicked them out. (laughs) They're at Elevate Hope Centennial. They're serving there. They felt a call from God to be a part of this group that would go launch a new church. And these are leaders and servants here at Deer Creek. Well, they're leading and serving now in another context to launch a new church. So now all of those service opportunities are available to you. (laughs) Serving our kids, discipling students, greeting visitors, praying with folks who need prayer after the service, making coffee, leading Um, leading uh, students into places of faith and trust in Christ, serving uh, with Christianity Explored. These are all places where you can use your gifts and heed your call, which comes from Jesus, to minister. Use the gifts that God has given you. We have needs all over the place in worship ministry up here. I know it doesn't look like maybe we do, but there's lots of needs in the worship ministry. We have uh, needs for folks who can sing, Uh, Folks who can play instruments, folks who can do the technical stuff in the back. There's all kinds of needs there. Now, we don't just give anybody a microphone. So you have to audition for some of these things. We don't just put anybody, I'd like to learn to play the guitar. Yeah, yeah, we're not, you're not, you're not going to be playing up here if you're just learning how to play. Okay, you got to be gifted. You want to use the spiritual gifts that God has given you, and we, we would love to see you involved. But in worship ministry, children's ministry, small group ministry, opportunities exist. In hospitality on Sunday morning, everything from coffee to, you know, handing out uh, brochures or bulletins in the morning, there's opportunity to serve. These are all places to start. If you want to serve, it actually takes about 70 people every weekend, every Sunday to make what happens here happen. About 70 folks. Uh, Somebody has to turn the lights on and off for that matter. 
Uh, somebody has to fire up the band and run the slides and run the cameras and run the live feed on Facebook and greet you at the door and answer your questions if you have any questions and help you find a seat and help you check in your kids and teach your kids and love on your kids and disciple your kids. And somebody needs to make coffee because these sermons are long. Somebody's got to clean up from making the coffee. Somebody's got to serve uh, donuts. Somebody's got to eat donuts. Somebody's got to pray before and after the service. Uh, collect the offering, count the offering, deposit the offering. We have a small army of people who serve every Sunday, serve you in this building. We have people uh, who hold babies for an hour uh, during a service so that the baby's mom and dad could come into this service and just worship Jesus. These are some of the ways uh, that we see people working, but there are lots of things that people do here at this church to serve and you don't see them. They're like lungs, <laughs> you don't see them. Uh, we have people who come to church during the week. You walked in this morning, there's some lovely flowers out there. You know, uh, there's a, a woman who comes to this church multiple times a week to tend to, to water, to care for flowers because she cares that you see something beautiful when you walk in the building. I can tell you that's not Tim or me or Daniel, okay? Uh, we've got people who come to do projects during the week, to organize closets, to set up, to clean up, uh, set up things like communion, tear down communion. So we've got people, uh, gifted, retired business people who oversee the finances and the stewardship dollars of this church. We would be in a heap of trouble without those people giving wisdom and input into the financial directions of this church. Deeply indebted to, deeply thankful for those people. On and on it goes, this list. Everyone using their gifts and serving in some way, shape, or form so we can be a healthy church that we call reaching out. It's reaching out. And these are just ways to serve here. You'll note that almost everything I've mentioned so far is serving here, but we can also serve out in the community, to be sure. Uh, we have people who volunteer at Love, Inc., which is an organization we had the privilege to help start. Uh, it tries to pick people up who are really struggling financially or who are really struggling in one way or another. They need this, they need that. And those needs can be met and these people can be trained how to manage their finances. And uh, we have folks who work with Love, Inc. and we encourage them in that. That's a good ministry. That's a great way to serve. Third Story is a tutoring ministry in Baker neighborhood that some folks from this church uh, support financially and support with their time and their effort. Feed My Starving Children is coming up. We're uh, going to be doing that again at the end of the year. We had over 650 people participate in preparing meals for children who are starving. Alternatives Pregnancy Center. We have people in this church involved in that ministry. There's so many ways, my point is, to make a difference. There are worthy nonprofit organizations and NGOs that are committed to tackling the world's biggest problems, problems that never actually fully go away. And if you're passionate about tackling homelessness or poverty or sex trafficking or slavery or abortion, then join them in their effort to make a difference. Holly and I, have, I've shared this before, one of the organizations that we partner with financially is IJM, International Justice Mission because they, they attack things like slavery and sex trafficking. And we just, I'm not any good at that, but IJM is. And so we just felt like, you know what? We need to be on board with that. We, we need to participate in that. Join organizations like that in their effort to make a difference. Use your gifts and your experiences and your resources and your passions to help. 
Whatever you do, for goodness sake, don't do nothing. Don't refuse to serve. Don't just sit on the sidelines and be a consumer. Go on a mission trip. You saw the video, Che Ministries. This is one of the great ministries. These folks plant churches. I, I mean, we've got so much to learn from them. It's not funny. Uh, hundreds of churches have been planted through Che Ministries in Central America. And we get to help a little bit. We've got a trip going in November. If you want to be on that trip, well, speak up and you know, fill out the cards. You've got those cards on your seats there. You can put your name down there. If you're interested in an area, just circle it. Uh, put it in the, I think we've got some baskets, some buckets in the back as you go out. And, and uh, we'll contact you about whatever it is you're interested in. Um, but use your gifts and abilities. Uh, help lead, help serve. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I was curious about this because I was thinking about this subject. I asked Trevor, uh, hey, what was the involvement with high school students in VBS? You know, VBS is an interesting thing. We, we have a dozen or more little ones profess faith in Jesus every time we do a VBS. And, you know, some of those kids are just raising their hands because they're going to raise their hands for, they, for anything. They're thinking they might get a prize or something. But... Um, some are raising their hands because they're professing faith in Jesus. We had 35 high school students dedicate themselves all week long to making VBS hum. How cool is that? High school students learning to serve using their gifts and abilities. I think about a woman here at church who has a heart for international students, especially Muslim students. And rather than traveling all over the world to meet them, she meets them here. Uh, they actually come here to study at a local colleges and universities, right? They come from all over the world. This lady goes on those campuses, hangs out, gets to know them, actually makes, makes friends, good friends with them. And she's discovered that these new friends are looking for community. And they are far, far, of course, away from their families and far from home. And she found that at holiday times, these folks are really lonely. Uh, so she organizes gatherings at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, 4th of July, those kinds of things, when everybody else abandons campus, right? And she creates gatherings where people can come and be in the community together. She uses her gifts of hospitality and encouragement, just being a great listener, to help people be a part of a community when they don't have any. Some of those students are spiritually seeking, and they want to know about God. They want to know about her faith. They want to know about Jesus because that's a strange religion to them. And when that's the case, she shares her faith, just like she shares her life. But this is all driven by her heart to serve students from all around the world. And these are some of the ways and these are some of the people that God is using here at Deer Creek Church to accomplish his ministry. And I know many of you are engaged in things like this. I know of many more stories where some of you are engaged serving for the, in the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ. And you're like a lung. You're beating. You're always going. You're always working. You're always pounding the oxygen into other parts of the body, but nobody knows it. And I know you don't do it for that reason. And I, I could spend all day just sharing and telling different stories like this. Do you want me to do that? Different folks using their gifts where God has put them because Jesus serves them. That's why. And all of us have been called. All of us are critical to God's mission. We really are. 
Everyone here is important. Every gift matters. I, I know in my own life, there are people who marked my life in ways I, I, I'm sure they never imagined. In fact, they'd probably forgotten who Dwayne Corey is. <laughs> but boy, they had an impact on my life. One time, this was shortly after I became a Christian, I found a, a Christian Missionary Alliance church. There was a woman there named Mrs. Ewald, and she taught Sunday school to high school students. And I went to happened into that that Sunday school and my oh my was this gal a gifted teacher and was she ever passionate about her faith I don't know it was just a, it was a holy spirit I this woman spoke into my life like I cannot tell you one time she asked me if I would teach her class when she couldn't be there I'm like blah, 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 you know and I did a it was worse than this sermon it was really, really bad, I'm telling you. It was really bad. But you know what she did afterwards? She said, I think you should think about ministry someday, professional ministry, becoming a pastor. I'm like, whoa. I really didn't give it a second thought. But, that, but she, not till later in my life, but she, she was the first one to ever speak something like that in my life. Then there was a guy, Wilbur Miller, who I've mentioned many times, a home Bible study uh, that he led for high school students. And Miller, we just dug in, you know, to whatever book of the Bible he was teaching. And he gave me my first study Bible, uh, Schofield Study Bible. And in it, he wrote this. He said, Dwayne, I hope this book will always guide you down the path of continued spiritual growth. May Jesus Christ always be your guide. Wilbur Miller, June 7th, 1972. I actually think, I don't know this, but I think he's the guy that pulled some strings to get me into college because my grades really sucked, and, and I had never applied myself, but I think he actually got me into college. I don't know that for sure, but I'll find out one day. Then there was Dr. Jim Hurley, very weird, eccentric professor at Covenant College, but man, was he passionate about truth and the belief that God is over and above all truth, and the study and the pursuit of discovering truth, that's the most important thing in the world. And uh, Jim Hurley, I just, I saw the love of Jesus in his life in the pursuit of truth. And I thought, wow, that's what I want to do. I want to be a professor someday. I thought I wanted to be a philosophy professor. Thank God I was delivered from that. But, <laughs> but it was Dr. Hurley who inspired me to think of going to seminary, not, to, not for anything other than just the pursuit of truth. When I was in seminary, there was a guy, Dr. Dick Gaffin, professor of systematic theology at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. I went on a, a trip to the Holy Land with Dick Gaffin. It was about six weeks long that we spent in Israel studying and, and got to know this professor really well And in that time. Such a neat guy, a love for the Lord, a love for the scriptures. And uh, he told me one time, he, he told me that I should use my seminary education for good. That, that's what he said, you should use... This seminary education that you're paying for, that you're, you're currently receiving um, to do good. And I said, well, what, what's the best way to do that? And he instantly just said, you have to serve the church. Whatever you do, even if you become an, an oil baron, you got to find a way to serve the church. Because that's what all this is about, he said, this knowledge that you're getting. It's, it's about figuring out how to serve the church. And then David Nicholas, who was the senior pastor in Boca Raton, Florida of Spanish River Church. That was the church where I was on staff there for seven years before we came here to plant this church. 
David was an interesting guy. He was a big personality and, and so on. It was a privilege to work and serve in that church. And that church's passion was planting churches. And when I figured out that God wanted us to go and plant a church, it was that church, Spanish River Church, that supported us financially to launch a church, a lot like what we're doing uh, with Elevate Hope. And David took me out to lunch uh, one day and um, he just said, don't screw it up. <laughs> and that was David, so... And then when I moved here, to my shock and chagrin, I found out that our presbytery that we're a part of wasn't all that excited to have me. I mean, how could that possibly be? But they weren't. They, you know, who's this young whatever? I don't know what they thought, but, but I was plopped here in Denver, and I didn't know anybody, not a soul. And uh, so I, I began to realize that other churches weren't necessarily going to come alongside and, and help get this church going. But there was one guy that God put in my way. His name was Bill Leonard. He actually started Village 7 Presbyterian Church many, many years ago. And Bill at this time was already retired. And, and Bill uh, took me to lunch at Presbytery and said, hey, I just want you to know God is with you in this. And Bill just reminded me, that's really all that matters. Don't be discouraged if this presbytery doesn't do something for you that you wanted or that you hoped it would do. God is with you in this. And God is going to build his church. And it was stuff like that, people like that, that God brought, has always brought into my life that just, just kept me going. Friends here in this church, at moments of crisis, difficulty, God used you to speak into my life just to keep me going and keep my head above water. And I could go on and on and on, and I know you don't want me to. I could name people who have made small investments in my life who changed me forever because of their willingness to make those investments. And I bet if I were to interview you, you, would do, you could do exactly the same. List all the people that have invested in you or spent time with you or listened to you or prayed with you or taught you or encouraged you or just believed in you and called you out of your comfort zone, invited you to be a part of ministry, to be a part of the church, the part, play a part in Jesus' body to represent Jesus to someone else. So my question as we end this morning what investments are you making in the lives of other people? Because that's what your life is about or supposed to be. How are you serving for Jesus' sake and for Jesus' glory? You see, at the end of our lives, when all is said and done and we go from this life to the next, I don't think Jesus is going to be all like, woo, wow, look at you, way to go. Look at the stuff you accumulated. Look at the places you've traveled. Look at the cars you drive. Look at the businesses you've started. Way to go. Look at all that money. Look at all that fun you've had. All the recreating you've done. Again, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. In fact, if you have any of that stuff, it's only because God gave it to you. <laughs> and he wants you to enjoy it, but he wants you to enjoy it purposefully. He wants you to find how to use what you've got and who you are and the gifts that he's given you in ways to advance his kingdom. I don't think that it'll be those kinds of things that Jesus is going to delight in. I, I think he's going to look at our lives and he's going to care most about how we've served other people. And the words we're going to want to hear, all of us, in a story that Jesus told, he said, the, the, the servant who's faithful, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're going 
to want to hear all of us someday. So what are we doing? Three things. If you are a follower of Jesus, there are three indisputable things Jesus wants you to be doing. Reaching up, worshiping, reaching in, connecting with other people, letting them impact you, you impact them, and reaching out, serving. Why does he want you doing those things? Because he wants you to mature. He wants you to become more like him. And if you're going to be like him, I don't think that can happen in you without these three things happening, reaching up in and out. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can gather in a place like this every week to be reminded of your great love for us. No matter what we've done or where we've been this past week, we can come back to you anytime and your love welcomes us. Your grace, your mercy is available. Your love renews us. It heals us, it forms us, it shapes us. But God, we are grateful that it doesn't end there, but that you invite us to participate with you and the work that you are doing in this world, in this community, and in this church. In all of us here, you have given us not only opportunity, but the gifts to be a part of loving others. And so, Jesus, today we say yes to that invitation. We step out in faith. We make little investments. We take steps of faith, trusting that you're really the only one who can change another human heart. You're really the only one who can save a soul, but you invite us to be a part of that work. And we thank you for that gracious invitation. And we say yes, yes to you. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.